The Old Testament reading this morning is the opening eight verses from the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah. This is a marvelous call story that takes place in the time of the Old Testament. So I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading for this morning comes to us from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Providentially, this is part of the very same set of readings that were called for in this morning's Sunday school lesson. So some of you have heard this before. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Last week, some of you may recall, we considered together 
The previous paragraph from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian Christians in which he was comparing and contrasting worldly wisdom with the wisdom of God. Here we read his words of application of that principle to the individual believer as he makes his argument personal now. Beginning with this remark, consider your own call, brethren. And as this is the Sunday on which we will be installing our recently elected officers as part of our worship service, I think it's quite appropriate for us to do that very thing this morning. Consider your own call. You who are to be installed as deacons and elders here at Rehoboth, you didn't choose to serve in this capacity. Oh, you assented to it, yes, but you didn't choose. That's not the way it works in our tradition, a tradition that is thoroughly grounded in the Word of God in Scripture. You all have been elected, a term rich with theological overtones, to serve as officers in this church. A group of folks who comprised the nominating committee was charged on behalf of the membership with prayerfully discerning persons they believed the Lord might be leading them to have a conversation with about serving in this capacity. You did not place your name in nomination after the manner of our nation's political machine, as was evidenced again this week by announcements from candidates preparing to throw their own hats into the ring for the 2024 elections. No, the God who led the members of the nominating committee to speak with you is the one who, in his perfect wisdom, has tapped you for such a time as this. That calling has been extended based on the particular combination of spiritual gifts with which you have been endowed and the divinely identified needs of this church in witness and service to her neighbors. As God was selecting you to act as deacons and elders, he did so according to a formula that would be alien to us. Once upon a time, I worked in the HR capacity as a recruiter for a high-tech company. It was my responsibility to locate and to screen potential candidates for a variety of jobs that our firm had orders to fill. I can assure you that the criteria were industry standard and they differ widely and thankfully from the criteria that are used by God for extending calls to his service. As Paul explained it to the Corinthians, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So, in other words, you weren't particularly the cream of the crop the movers and the shakers in the crowd. Consider your own call. You who are to witness this morning's installation. 
You didn't choose to be a, a follower of Jesus. Now, wait just a minute, preacher. Some of you might be thinking, I, I don't know about everybody else sitting around here this morning, but I surely made a decision for Christ, as we like to say in the church. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was 15 years old, and I had gone to summer church camp for the very first time, and, and we had spent the afternoon that day swimming and canoeing, and after dinner, we gathered around a bonfire for our Bible study and our worship time together, and at the end, the, the counselor told us sooner or later, we needed to make a decision, and sooner would be better for us than later, or some such story like that. Well, that may be the way things unfolded for you, but with all due respect to your camp counselor, you did not elect to follow Christ sooner or later or ever. No, Christ called you and you have assented to the call which had long ago been extended by none other than Jesus himself. Now, that may sound like a kind of fine splitting of hairs, but I wouldn't bring it up if it weren't a big deal. This is an example of the distinction that Paul is teasing out here in these and the preceding words of his letter to the Corinthians. A distinction between the way the world sees, interprets, and understands how things work and the way our God makes, interprets, and communicates the way things work. Are. God is always the first mover. It's been that way since the beginning. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. God was and God did. Everything came out of that. That's a universal rule, or perhaps you might say it's the rule of the universe. But whichever way you look at it, as exceptional as we are, we are not an exception. God chose us. He has issued us a summons to act on his behalf for each of us. It is a unique call, but it is a universal invitation. God gives everyone, everyone, particular tasks for which they were uniquely made. And as Paul is teaching his brothers and sisters in Corinth, this work isn't dependent on your social stature. It's not about who the world says you are, but about whose God says you are. It's about our identity in Christ and not that which the world would assign us, nor is it even the way we would label ourselves. Understanding that such a double standard exists between the ways the world labels and values things and the ways that God does helps us better understand, I think, Paul's claim that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. We see proof of this principle at work in the gospel call stories 
of the apostles, some of which we read again last month. Those whom the master had invited to put down their nets and take up their cross, they were not from among the elite of Galilee. With the exception of Matthew, who worked as a tax collector and was allowed to pad his own pockets while contracted to extract the residents' tributes to Rome, those men chosen to serve in Jesus' inner circle were of little means. And we see the same thing today among those called to serve Jesus. They don't come exclusively from families of wealth, power, and status. They are rather drawn from across the spectrum, including some from rather surprising and even scandalous origins. And all this so that credit is given where credit is due. And that certainly isn't with us. Look at the sorts of people who responded to Jesus' call. From the disciples and the apostles right up to our own time, many an unlikely candidate has faithfully served with all praise, honor, and glory to God alone for those whom he has raised up in his name. So as you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, deacons, elders, congregants, go forth as part of this great cloud of witnesses, each of you brings your own unique spiritual gifts and talents. Many unappreciated or even unrecognized by the world. May you continue to use those in service to their originator. Members of the priesthood of all believers, we are together the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is our identity. And it is here that we alone may boast that we have been called by God to speak his wisdom in and to this world, that he has freed us from all constraints to do this, that he is, as Paul wrote, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Jesus, God has done all of this for us. In response, we are invited to bring a living tribute from the abundant blessings that we have received. Such blessings may not be evident to the world, but that doesn't make them any less valuable. And so it is with we who have received them. The Apostle Paul knew this to be the case 2,000 years ago when he was inspired to observe that God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, the kingdom of God is a, a very different sort of animal than the kingdoms of this world. And despite all their bellicose posturing and their displays of conventional and nuclear might with which they can threaten to bring death to every person on the planet, they have been shown to be impotent by a God who has powerfully yet tenderly demonstrated that he alone has the power to overcome even the grave itself. Such is the God who made us 
and who has called us to live not for the world, not even for ourselves, but rather for him. As servants of the Most High, this is now the only identity that matters. We dedicate all that we have and all that we are to boast in the Lord alone. As you consider your own call and fulfill the chief end of man as it is referred to in our confessions, may you do so with joy and humility, always remembering that we are only able to do so not through any merit or talent on our own, but because God has enabled and equipped us for this noblest of tasks. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God, and amen.